Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. This is an interview style podcast where I talk with musicians, performers and sometimes even wrestlers. I am your host, the Sizz Dog. Thanks for joining me. Oh man, first week back at work, I am stuffed. But at least it was a nice cool day today, man. My goodness, last week was sweaty as. This week on the podcast, Sam Parry is the special guest host as he interviews me, Old Mate Sizz Dog, for episode 42. How about that? Now, um, Sam has appeared on the podcast before, episode 30. So if you are a new listener to the show, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to his episode. It's hilarious. Um, but I wanted to do something different, you know, for episode 42, as no- the number 42 is my favorite number, which I do explain during the interview. So stick around for that to find out. Art of Turing is brought to you every single Tuesday. You can listen to Art of Turing on iTunes or on the Google Podcasts app on your Android device. Um, and remember, Art of Turing is part of the A Lot of Green podcast network. And you can check out all the other awesome podcasts on their network at www.alotofgreen.com.au. There is a little bit of coarse language in this week's episode. So if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to throw on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then once they're dropped off at their swimming lessons, throw Art of Turing back on. Now let's take a moment for this week's sponsor. Episode 42 of Art of Turing is brought to you this week by Hero Hour. Do you want to go to the gym and have a workout? Not interested in an empty gym? Then come at Hero Hour between 5 and 6 p.m. at your local gym. You'll be sweating it up with every man and his dog trying to get their workout in before heading home for dinner. And don't worry about bringing a sweat towel. During Hero Hour, you don't need one. Just slam the weights down on the floor with zero technique. And once you've finished your set, don't wipe off the sweat from the bench. Just leave it there for the next person to worry about. Hero Hour, the only time at the gym where you can be rest assured there'll be some Muppet taking more selfies in the mirror than actually lifting fucking weight. Just so you know, Art of Turing is hosted by Wooshka. If you'd like to listen on your desktop, you can just Google Art of Turing and follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. As I mentioned earlier, I'm the guest this week, so... uh I thought I'd play you a song that hasn't been heard in a very long time. I wrote this track back in 2005 when late night TV was a very big part of our collective entertainment. And uh, yeah, I wrote this track about all the wild, crazy things you'd see after midnight on any given evening. Check it out. Yeah, that's it, man. Look into my eyes, it's easy to see. Watch you 
Here we go. That track isn't available anywhere online, so if you'd like a copy of that one, uh, you'll have to bribe me out of the gig. Come and come and say g'day. Say, hey, can I have a copy of Late Night TV? I'd be like, yeah, I could burn one for you if you wanted. If I had a burner, maybe I could just like email it to you, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, guys, look, usually I only um, play a snippet of a song, but because that song isn't available, I figured, well, why not share the whole thing? So there you go. Enjoy it. You know, if you want to listen to that song, just listen to episode 42 of Artie Touring, and there you go. You've, you've got it, man. I hope you dug it. Um, without any further ado, I'm going to pass things over to Mr. Sam Parry, the, the, the Paz dog, and he's going to interview old mate Siriani for episode 42. Let's check it out. Welcome to the Art of Touring podcast, everybody. This is episode number 42, I believe, and uh, this is P-Dog, special guest, <laughs> presenter, and interviewer, interviewing yeah. the one and only Sizz Dog, David Siriani. How's it going, man? It's going good, man. How are you doing? I'm I'm great. How's, yeah. How's the? Uh, it's, it's a hot day today. It, it, it was stinking. hot. It was very hot here in Melbourne. I made sure I put the aircon on as soon as I got home from um, furniture shopping with the twins and and the wife, because they're um they're getting so big we need to get them out of their cots and we need to buy them um single beds. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. So um as soon as we got home from that, I'm like, you know what, aircon, it's too hot for the man cave tonight. We're going to be in. Yeah, the tin roof for the man cave, yeah. just, just roasting everybody. I was going out there every five minutes just checking to see, because it was a really weird day. It was like that, you know, Crowded House song, you know, Four Seasons in One Day or whatever, where every time I went outside, it was raining again for five minutes. I'm like, oh, maybe that's cooled down the, the man cave, and I'd go in there. It's still stinking hot. So I'm like, you know what, I'll, I'll bring the podcast equipment over to the family room, and we'll be, we'll be laughing. Good move. Yeah, Good move, it. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, mate. Um, so it's my turn. 
to, yeah. to interview you. This is weird. In, in much the same way that you have talked to me and many other people mm. so far. So, where where did you grow up? What what part of Melbourne? I see Melbourne. Did yeah. You, did you grow up in? I did grow up in Melbourne. Um, uh, I grew up in Greensboro uh, until I was eight years old. Uh, so, we um, grew up there in Keswick Glen um, near Apollo Parkways mm-hmm. um, up mm-hmm. there in the Greensboro area um, until we moved out in, yeah, when I was eight years old, uh, we moved out to research um, and I lived there up until, you know, I was 27 until I, um, you know, bought this place here in Epping. So, um, yeah, li- living in Greensboro um, as, a, as, a, as a young bloke with two older boys, um, Andrew, uh, the middle brother, and Paul, the eldest brother. Um, and uh, we, yeah, we run a muck in Greensboro, you know, we, but we ironically didn't actually go to a, a school in Greensboro. Um, and that was because my older brother, Paul, he did go to a Greensboro primary school, but he got picked on. And so my parents just pulled him out of there. Oh, right. said, screw it, we'll send him to Ivanhoe. Hopefully the public school teachers will be a bit more tougher on the, on the naughty kids. So we never, ever went to school anywhere but Ivanhoe. Yeah, right. So we... Um, how, long, how long did he last at... Uh I mean, this is probably deviates a bit, but how long did Paulie last at... Uh... I, th- I think he was only there until maybe grade three or four. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, so a fair chunk. A fair chunk, yeah. yeah. And then they um, yeah, decided to put him into um, the Memorial Junior School in Ivanhoe Grammar. Um, and he went there the whole time. But when, when me and my brother Andrew went to um, Ivanhoe, we only did our primary schooling there because that was an all-boys school back in the 80s. Oh, is this Ivanhoe? Like Ivanhoe. In, in the suburb Ivanhoe? In the suburb Ivanhoe, yeah. 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 So in the 80s, that was an all-boys school. <laughs> now it's, it's co-ed. Um, but in the early 90s when we went into high school, me and my brother, because me and my brother are only 15 months apart, the, me and um, my uh, middle brother Andy... So we were actually um, kind of guinea pigs because um, Ivanhoe decided to open up a new campus in Mernda and we went out there for our um, high school education and that was co-ed. So, um, and yeah, I mean, it was just a decision my, my folks made. Um, they said, we thought, you know, we, we tried the all, all boys thing and, and she, you know, uh, Paulie, Paulie went through that system. And, so they um, turn around and go, we fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> We, 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 get we better send you to a co-ed. Yeah, it was an interesting experiment. We tried it with the first kid, didn't really work. Maybe we'll, we'll let the other two, you know, integrate with that with the girls. He'll be getting more of the inheritance because of that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. We really fucked up. Yeah, sorry, sorry about that, Paulie. But <laughs> gosh, yeah. Um, oh god. Yeah. So yeah, we went to Mernda and um, and that was it. But in my primary school years, I did, um, you know, I think me and Andy did violin for about a, maybe a term and a half, maybe two terms. Yeah, right. Um, just couldn't stand it. I just really hated it. Do you, do you remember what year that was that you were it doing? Was about grade two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So only how old are you when you're in grade two? Like six, seven years old. Um, my son is seven and he's in grade two. There you go. Yep. Yeah. And I think he'll turn eight this year. Yeah, he will turn eight this year. In grade two. That's yep. right. Yeah, so Very it would have only been... Yeah, if it was grade one, it was yeah. seven years old. I wasn't into it. But um, I do remember my music teacher in primary school um, tell my mum that I would be good on any instrument. 
for some reason. Apparently, like, I picked up a cello one day and just started noodling on it. Mm-hmm. And she was like, oh, wow, this kid can play this. And so she said, oh, yeah, old mate Davo there, he'll, he'll, be, he'll be good on any instrument. He's got a lot of, um, you know, uh, talent or whatever. Whether or not that transpired in my adult years, you know, I can't be the judge of that. But I do... That's like one of those proud mum stories that she always that whips she, yeah, out yeah, yeah. that she loves tallies. Like, oh, you know, Mrs. <clears throat> Wigglesworth. I think it was Wigglesworth. <laughs> <laughs> that's who it was. Mrs. Wigglesworth, she, <laughs> yeah, she thought you were going to be a great muso, blah, 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 you know. That's right. It was Mrs. Wigglesworth because Mrs. Lyons was the drama teacher. There you go. I think my, my very first gig in the performing arts was um, I was a field mouse in the primary school production of The Wizard of Oz. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. so I think I was in grade prep or one or whatever and mum sewed, <laughs> sewed do up a, a... Do you have a song? Uh, you no. Have to sing a song or you just no. appeared? We just, were just there. The whole yeah, school yeah. was in it. What are we going to do the, with the preps? Oh, oh yeah, we'll just yeah. make a mouse. Make field mice. Yeah, field mice in the field when Dorothy's running around the, the golden, you know... Um, right. The, the golden road there. Yeah. Yeah. Am I getting that right? So, did, obviously, the um, the violin didn't didn't perturb no. you from learning an instrument at no, some point no. or, or being involved in music yeah no it didn't perturb me i i, I just just wasn't into it um but all through primary school i was always singing mm. um and i think even at one point mum took put me and my brother into the um, victorian boys choir for about three or four weeks i'll never forget it like we would go to this thing outside of um it was outside of school it wasn't part of ivanhoe's curriculum or anything and i think it was out in Kew or camberwell or wherever it was and i I just had this distinct memory of walking up the steps to where the um where the vocal room was and on the wall it wasn't han in carbonite but it looked a hell of a lot like it and here's me like i think i'd seen star wars but it scared the shit out of me. Really? Because it was this art installation of this guy kind of popping out of the wall. Like, kind of like, like in bronze or, or something like it that. It was something like that, yeah. And then years later, I was like, that kind of reminded me of Star Wars, you know. But all I remember at the time, it just scared the shit out of me. So I'm surprised it didn't, you know, scare me off singing for life. Because all I could remember from that time going singing yeah. in that choir was that. But no, look, I did all the choirs in, in primary school and, um, and then into high school. Um, it was in it was in all the choirs as well, mm. you know, because um, I didn't actually play an instrument. So you you didn't pick up an instrument until after high school. No, not till. Well, actually, no, I lied. I mean, this was all up until I was ten, and I have told this this story on the podcast before, and that was when I was five. I wanted to play the drums, and Mum said, "No, wait till you're 10. And so then when I was 10, I said, Mum, I want to play the drums. And then she caved and I did start getting drum lessons. Mm. So from when I was 10, you know, so that's what, grade uh, five, grade six, I was playing drums. But then when I got into high school, I I just kept singing. And I could always play drums, but all the bands already had a drummer, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And then when I did start my own bands in, in, um, in high school, I just got sick of the drummers. Oh, sorry, the singers not singing in tune because that was something I could always just do. Oh, so you were playing drums and, and going, and I was playing drums and getting a singer in my band. Like, yeah. oh, okay, let's start a band. We'll have a singer. You know, I had this. Uh, we had a chick at one point, and and then we we had another guy who was singing. And then, ironically, um, this is Cade Taylor, not stitching you up, mate. But you actually became a great drummer. We actually swapped roles. I was like, Cade, won't you try drumming, and I'll and I'll try singing. And that was that was it. Then that was the band from I think um, yeah we started off as 
X-rated jumping castle. That was the name of our band. <laughs> and then once we got into year 11, when we got a bit more serious, we called ourselves Hemoglobin. Oh, right. So that was Cade Taylor on drums. I was singing. I don't think I was even playing guitar. We had Will Starbuck. Best stage name ever. And that oh, was Jesus. his name. That was his actual name. That was his actual name, Will Starbuck on bass. And we had Xavier Irving on the guitar. And, oh, that's um, all good. Xavier Irving, that's a strong name. It was great. Strong name. Xavier Irving, Will Starbuck, Cade Taylor. Now, Cade is super cool. That's a great name. And he was a surfer, skateboarder guy. Like, he got all the ladies, you know, in high school. And then there's Dave Siriani. Yeah. <laughs> I probably would have to change The bloody it. ethnic. That's it, the ethnic. <laughs> yeah, in, in amongst all these Aussies. It yeah. really was that, actually, yeah. Oh, man. But we played all like, you know, the, the 16th birthday parties, you know, at your friend's party. And we played like the, um, uh, we played the, the, the school concerts and all that. Um, I remember in year 11, um, we were just saying, because it was always just the ensemble program and the rock bands never really got up. And, and I remember we were, me and my mate Nico Shea, because we he was in a band as well, um, and Paul Zula's band, Shitfish, we were like, can we please have a night? where we get to showcase all our bands we play in outside of school. Because it was the 90s. Everyone was in a band, you know. And um, he's like, all right, well, we'll put one on. We'll call it The Big Gig. And he did. And I think it was the night after the musical. So they set – they had we had the stage still set up in the Sports and Assembly Hall in, in Mernda. And, um, and we got to play. And I remember we did like Smells Like Teen Spirit and Kathy's, Kathy's Clown by UMI. Um, and – it was just an. It was just awesome to be able to play, you know, music in front of your peers because there oh, was yeah. there wasn't many opportunities, especially in school, that we got to do that, and we got to do it once. Oh, it was just so cool. You know, I think I've still, I think I've still got a photo of that gig somewhere up in the in the spare room. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was a great show. But um, talking about that that space and performing in that space, <laughs> we we did this one performance at school which was outside of all the musicals, because I did all the musicals. Um, and that was um, Mr. Laplastria, our head of form or whatever, he wanted to put on like this comedy night. And so he was a big like Monty Python fan. And so he got us doing all these Monty Python skits. Oh, really? Yeah. So we were doing heaps of skits. That I, and as a 17-year-old, I'd never even seen Monty Python. Yeah, right. But we got into it because it was like, you know, we, we, we were cast in this comedy night and we're putting on all these spots and because i was really gung-ho about music and comedy and and musicals and everything i was cast in pretty much every scene right and there was this one scene where i had to play an alien and i was in like this green makeup with a big green wig and a green jumpsuit and because i had learnt lines for every other thing that one skit i just didn't know my lines i think it was the night before the gig we were doing a dress rehearsal and I was just screwing up all the lines. And Mr. Laplastria just screamed at me in front of everyone. He's like, you're screwing this up for everybody, Sirianni. I can't believe you haven't learned your lines. This is unprofessional, blah, blah, blah. Get off the stage, right? He just humiliated me in front of the whole, you know, cast. And so I was wearing one of those lapel mics. And I didn't realize, because oh. usually when they... When you get off the stage, they turn it down. This is great. This is I like this. Oh, this is going. <laughs> yeah, right. As soon as I walked off the stage, the mic was still on, and under my breath, I just said, "What a <laughs> like this!" And it just went echoed throughout the entire hall, right? And I'm thinking, "Oh God, I'm not going to be able to. I'm going to be 
expelled here or or something like and and he just he just he just walks up to me and just he just shakes his head he's, he's like what can i do if, if in his mind i'm assuming i can't kick this kid out of the music this performance otherwise it would it won't run you know i think he just wanted to kick me up this pants a little bit but i i couldn't believe it, yeah, yeah. it went over the mic Oh, yes. It was out of control. What man. year was that? That was year eleven. That was seventeen. You had some clutch years. Yeah, you, you know that, that know. could have ruined you. But it was such a good show. Like I remember, I I sung, you know, um, uh, "Stairway to Heaven." We had our mate Campbell Wilson playing flute for the start of it, and Nick O'Shea played acoustic guitar, and I sang on it. It was just acoustic guitar, you know, vocals and some flute. Um, and yeah, like I said, all the Monty Python skits, it was kind of like a variety night. Mm. Yeah. Um, it was so much fun. But yeah, I'll, I'll never live that down saying the C-bomb in front of everybody. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I hope none of my current students are listening to this podcast because they'll be pretty surprised at Mrs. Sirianni. Would they though? Would that. they be that surprised? Maybe not. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I see. Yeah, that was it, man. And so um, so that, that was year 11. Yeah. We've We've... Your first band was it was Hemoglobin or Hemoglobin or, um, still at that point? Yeah, X-rated Jumping Castle. Yeah, we'd moved past, which I that. think is a better name. Let's oh, it to, was, it yeah, was, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you 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 do year twelve? Yeah, yeah. And uh, you did music for year twelve? I did do music for year twelve, um, but back then it was yeah VCE music solo performance, and whether or not it was offered or not, but there was really no like. Oh, actually, there was, but it was a very small portion of the course. So, I was doing operas and musicals. There was really no pop tunes. The one pop tune that I got to choose was Kiss from a Rose by... Seal. Seal, yeah, the bloke with the concaved face. Yeah, well, I remember, remember um, that that had to be a, an analysis, didn't it? Was, was that an analysis of that song? Or maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I think you could. Actually, I think I actually ana- had to analyse it as well. But I remember yeah. I did get to perform it as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I did that. Um, but basically my musical career in high school, apart from, you know, the that one, the big gig and the, the variety night we put on, was all the musicals, you know. Mm-hmm. And I worked my way up from um, doing the uh, – I was a workhouse kid in Oliver. And then I um, – I think the next one was Oklahoma, and I was just like a you know one of the cowboys in the, in the background somewhere. That was year eight. Year nine, we did uh, Fiddler on the Roof, which I got to play uh, Mendel, who was the rabbi's son. Mm, he was yeah. spoken a, a lot about in dialogue, but he didn't really have any dialogue of his own. Mm. But he, he was you know like a character that was spoken about. So that was year nine. Year ten, we did Godspell, and I got my first song, which was. I can't remember the name of the song, but that was awesome because Mrs. McEncrow, the um, the teacher who took the musical that year, her idea of the set was basically just corrugated iron backdrops and she got the maintenance crew to build them and then me and Jeremy Lum and, and my brother Andrew um, all went down on the weekend and she gave us spray cans and she said, sweet. Just spray whatever you want. It was like a kid's dream. I remember I wrote, because it was 70s, you know, Godspell or whatever. So I wrote Jimi Hendrix, you know. And I think Jeremy, who was um, a little, he was a lot, he was the best at it. I think maybe he'd even done this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
You've slipped into this role way too quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeremy. He, he did like this massive freedom mural, like, and that was the centerpiece, which looked really cool, you know. Um, so that was Godspell. And then Year 11 um, was my first major role. I was the Tin Man in The Wizard of Oz, which was awesome. And I actually had braces at that point. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. sweet. Let's let's keep the braces on. And, and my orthodontist was like, you know, you, you're due to take them off. I'm like, no, no, no. I need to keep them on for the Tin Man role. And so I actually left them on for an extra like two or three weeks oh. just so that I could be a bit more method, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know. This is yeah. serious, man. This is you know they're not coming off. No, that's yeah. right. Yeah, this is a once in a lifetime deal, man. I'm getting to play the Tin Man here. Did you um after high school? Did you do any more musicals? I did actually. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, I was that into it. I did a perform a um, uh, uh, it was called Sweet Charity. Oh yeah, another one. Yeah. yeah, and it was just my brother was at Eltham um station one day. And he saw, you know, oh, auditions now for Sweet Charity, the musical, come to this place. And it was just a, you know, um, a amateur theatre production. But ironically, it was actually put on at Plenty Ranges. So I knew the stage oh, at least. Oh, the, um, the big theatre there. Yeah, yeah Plenty yeah. Ranges Arts and Convention Centre. Um, and, yeah, so I did do one. And I think I spoke about this on a podcast already. I'm not sure. Maybe I was just telling on. But it's an interesting story. Old mate. Actually, I did talk about it, but it's a good story. The um, One of the co- my co-actors or stars, whatever you want to call it, lost his voice. And so I had to sing into the microphone and he had to mime for the last performance. Oh, right. Because he'd completely lost his voice. Like he could talk his dialogue, but he couldn't sing. So is it, is it like a two-week run and at the end of it he was... Oh, no, no. It was only like three or four performances. Oh, that's it. That's it. But oh, maybe right. I think maybe the night before he got on the yeah, turps. On the and yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> he lost his voice. But after that, um, I didn't really pursue the musical game in, anymore. You know, I really got more into the um, the band scene. Yeah. After school. Yeah. 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 So, after, so when, when was that Sweet Charity thing? So, that would have been while I was actually at TAFE. Oh, really? Was mm-hmm. it really? Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I think it was uh, maybe the first six months or maybe the last six months of that course. And you transitioned straight into um, the TAFE course uh, at NMIT? Yeah. Well, from, from high school? From high school, yeah. yeah. So, I got into the Box Hill TAFE course, but that was fee-paying. Um, and I'd just gone through, you know, 13 years of private school. And I was like, you know what? I might give my folks a bit of a rest here <laughs> yeah, yeah. from all this fee-paying shit. Kind of. I mean, well, so my full-time course that I did decide to take was the Greensboro course. But part-time, I did um, go to VCA, and that was a fee-paying course. Now, it wasn't anywhere near as expensive as Eisenhower Grammar because it was only, you know, two nights a week. Um, So a Monday and a Wednesday, I'd go in um, while I was studying music. During the day, I would train it into um, VCA and do an acting course and that was called a foundation year in acting which like i said was fee paying and the way they worded is you know come and do this course and then you'll be in better stead when you re-audition for our full-time course the following year yeah right that was bullshit you know i don't think anyone maybe one person from maybe two from that entire year got into the following got in the following year Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it's just kind of a money grab but look i look back on that was a lot of fun um doing doing that thing um the the, the part-time acting course, yeah, in the, in the city. Yeah, right. Yeah, man. And so so um, working in bands, yeah, um, from from TAFE, from TAFE onwards. Yeah. What what's the what what bands were you in at at, at that point? Well, 
the the original band that we started in high school pretty much ended in high school. It didn't really because everyone went and did different things. Um, I think Cade went to um, go on to become a graphic designer, and he's pretty sure he's still a graphic designer. Um, I know Will. Will stayed in the music scene, but um, I don't think Xavier did. So we all just kind of went off and did our own thing. So that one never kind of went anywhere after high school. But it was great fun while we were in high school. Um, And so the band thing in TAFE for those two years, I was playing in bands with the guys from TAFE. So like with you and with um, uh, Troy um, and Brett Wood for a little while, but he was only in the course for six months. Woody? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he, he left um, there. So we, I think mm. we did do a few gigs together. Mm. Um, it wasn't really until I left um, TAFE that I started playing in bands like from members outside of the course. You know, um, having said that, the first incarnation of the Passouts was with Adrian, and and he went to the TAFE. Yeah, right. Was he in the same? I think he was in the same yeah. year level, but. I think we covered this in your podcast. I I had to do the the second year again. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, so he was maybe in your second year. So I think he may be in the second year. You know, like I, I think back on on the on that time, and I don't know, like there was a lot of a lot of good musicians in that, but but I think mm. you know, like there was a pretty broad um, sense of what was what was what people wanted to do as far as you know musical. Styles and yeah. Yeah, musical aspirations and stuff like that. Yeah, it was very, very diverse. And yeah, I mean, because I mean, I don't, I, well, I, I see a few, you know a few people from that. Like every once in a while, I see Peter Maverick and, and things like that. Oh yeah, Peter Maverick. Yeah, um, was he and, bass and, player? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then um, you know, Genta, I see mm. every once in a while. But mm. um, yeah, it's like you know, I don't even see people playing. Yeah, right. Like, you know, hear of people playing or anything like that. Yeah, that's true, actually. It, apart from, like, the the ones that you remain friends with on Facebook or whatever, like your Brett Woods and your Shannon Bournes and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, but Shannon Bourne was like, I mean, sorry, Brett was just out. Like, yeah, he, like, just, he, he was, was like, like I'm, I don't need this. Learning to do what I'm already doing outside of this, yeah, why yeah. am I here? And yep. that, that was cool for him because yeah. that, that's exactly what he wanted to do, you know. Um. Yeah, but uh, look, man, I, I, I love that course. Obviously, you know, but mainly because of the people that I got to meet. Mm. Not really the, I hate to say it, but not really the teachers. And and that would probably because I'd never forget, like I that performance platform class on a Friday afternoon. Yeah. Right. As a vocalist, I would go in there, and we did this blow up the pokey song once. Did you play on that? The trumpet, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe you know. were finished by that point. Maybe this was in my second go around. But all I remember is I put up, I put together this huge band for this one song. You know, I had a, a violin. I had my mate who used to play violin in high school, Jacob Ullians. I got him back, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't in the course. He, he came and because there was some violins in that song. Um, so, so is this? A- I don't know this Blow Up the Pokey song. Is this a is this a song you wrote? Oh no! So this is, is by this the Whitlams. Oh, okay. Wish right, I right. wish I knew the right words to I, blow up I don't the pokies. You don't know that song? No, no I don't know. That it. was huge back then. Had yeah, that right. one and gotta love this city. Love. I know this. that one. You yeah, know that yeah, one. Yeah, 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 yeah that same song. record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, right. yeah, and so 
it's a huge orchestration to have, you know, strings, you know, horn section, guitar, bass, drums, backing vocals. It was a huge ensemble that I put together for this one song. Pass is what I get, right? And what was the feedback? Oh, you didn't really get much. Just no, like, no, you know, well didn't. done kind of thing. Yeah. And then I see one of the saxophonists upstairs in the library just photocopying a chart, A, B, A, giving it to the musos on the day, go, okay, let's cycle through this chart. Let me, let me solo on the B section and then that'll be it. High distinction. I'm like, well, hang on a minute. There's got to be a little bit of a um, – it felt like it was a disconnect because I know the course is called jazz slash popular, but popular's in the title yeah, of the yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. You can't just give all the jazz like, guys, you know, high distinction. He was and- probably photocopying giant steps. <laughs> Right, I don't know yeah. what that is. It, you know, it's, it's that John Coltrane tune. That is that what it is? Yeah, saxophones love it. They love that shit. Yeah, they love there it. So, look, I do have fond memories of, of the course, but for different reasons, obviously, mainly for all the contacts I made in it. You know, mm-hmm. that's where I met Tony Andonov. Um, I haven't actually had Tony on the, on the podcast, but me and Tony do a lot of wedding, band, uh, wedding gigs together. Yeah, right. And okay. have done since we knew each other back then. So, um, and without doing that course, I wouldn't have gone on to go and get my uni course. Um, which was um, a degree in music, music industries at RMIT because um, I used that diploma to get um, that deg- like I got accepted into that into the second year so I only had to do like a year and a half and then I got a degree mm-hmm. which was awesome and then from there um, I started teaching at Main Street Music teaching singing um, and after that while I was still doing that um, I I uh, I got serious with the, with my lady. and uh, During that time? During that time. Yep. And so all I was doing, I was playing in a cover band and teaching, singing at Main Street Music, pulling in what I think I saved 10 grand in one year living with my folks and I bought my first car. Wow. <laughs> Impressive, Siriani. And here's me. Life goals. Life goals. Life goals. And I'm playing, you know, in a cover band on the weekends and I'm getting serious with my lady. I'm about 25 years old at this point. And what have I got? I've got a diploma of music and a degree in the music industry. And I'm, you know, teaching, singing at the local music school. And as I said, playing in my cover band, not pulling in much coin. And I go and talk to um, my future in-laws. I go, look, you know, I want to marry your daughter. And they go, look, Dave, we love you, mate. But how are you going to provide for her? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> that, that was like the... Uh, this is this a legit conversation you had. This is a legit conversation. Holy moly. Barry and Carol, I 100%... Um, like, give them the credit for giving me that boot up the bum. Oh, right. Okay. To oh, get my shit together. Yeah. And then I went and did my dip ed in, in classroom music teaching. And the next year I got my first teaching, full-time teaching gig. Yeah, right. Um, and and there was that at the school you're at now or you moved, moved around I've schools? moved since then, actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, my first teaching gig full-time um, after all of that, um, after, yeah, like proposing and everything um, and being – becoming engaged to to Danielle um, was, yeah, my first teaching one was in Melton, a a school called Stoughton College. And so that was – I was still living at home at that point. Oh, Melton. Melton. From research. From research. Brutal. And this was back then. Now, if you can cast your memory back here, Sam, this was – sorry, (laughs) P-Dog. P for Parry. Um, If you remember, back in 2006, 2007 – so, yeah, it would have been 2007 when I got the gig there in, in Melton. The ring road 
was still under construction. Was it? It was 80 kilometers for friggin' most of the whole bloody thing was bloody 80 kilometers. It was still like widening it or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but I don't know what they were doing for years. Yeah. And so it was 80 kilometers pretty much from, you know, the start of it in Greensboro all the way down to Mount. Well, not that bad, but pretty much, you yeah. know. And it, also because of that, there was a lot of accidents on that road back in the time. So usually on a good day, I could make it from research to Mount in about an hour and a half. Oh, God. You know, in the morning, maybe hour and twenty, if I was, you know, lucky. But if it was, if it, if there was an accident, two hours easy. You oh, know, man. and I would just call my daily organizer, like I'm like, sorry, Verge, there's an accident. Get someone to cover my period one because I'm not going to be there on time. You know, and they'd be they they're like, we understand, Davo, you live in research, it's fine, we'll cover your class. And yeah, they, right. they were always very cool about it because they knew where I was traveling from. But look, I loved teaching in that school. The very first year I taught there, I had the dream load. I got to teach music, classroom music from Monday to Thursday and then Friday, private singing lessons. And so as a classroom music teacher, that was a dream to have one-on-one all day it was like I was in a time machine. I got to go back to Main Street Music and just teach <laughs> one-on-one. It's so much easier. Yeah, yeah, Especially in your first year teaching. It was the perfect way to kind of dip my toes into the teaching game, you know. And some great kids that I taught there. Um, and uh, But I'll tell you what, man, this is a pretty wild story. My first year teaching there, as I said, I was paid as the um, – or employed as a singing teacher. The singing room that I, that I taught in um, – was basically like it didn't have any windows in it. It was like an adjacent room to the theatre. And so you walk in, it was just brick walls and had this old piano there. And um, there I am, you know, doing warm-ups with this maybe maybe a year nine student, maybe 14, 15-year-old girl. And I'm doing the warm-ups, me, uh, you know. And she's, she go, gets right up into my personal space, like leans into me. And I'm like... Let's call her Brittany. I can't remember the name. It was Melton. Probably was Brittany. <laughs> Let's be honest. I said, Brittany, can you just step back? You're getting way too close here. This is uncomfortable. Oh, no worries, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, okay, let's keep going. And then the very next scale, she's right back, right next to me. And I'm like, Brittany, seriously, move back. And so I actually had to get pretty heated because she was she was trying it on. You know what I mean? Like it was getting a little bit uncomfortable. Oh, and I think... Um, I actually said to the principal that afternoon, I said, look, this happened. I was very upfront about it. I'm like, you know, this, te- this student did this. And I'm like, she doesn't really practice. So I'm not sure if she's just here to get out of maths. And she's like, Dave, don't worry about it. She's gone. Don't worry about it. Out. And she, they were so supportive. She, they got rid of her immediately, mm. you know. Um, so that was a good thing. But um, yeah, that's my advice to any um, teachers out there. If anything happens like that, just report it straight away and just, you know. And I think <laughs> I think actually she actually ended up being like a teen pregnancy case like a few years later. Like it was obvious oh, that they were. Yeah, right. But it was Melton. But look, having said that, man, there was so many great kids. Like we're looking at a mural, like a, a picture of old mate right here in my house, Siriani. It's got the pass out there because that was my band um, that I started when I, when I first got that gig there in 20... 20- 2007 and that was painted by one of of my students yeah right matthew gillespie he gave that to me when he knew i was leaving i think he was in year 11 at the time just did, did you solid he did me a solid yeah, yeah. I, I saw him doing it in our class I'm like dude that's awesome he's like yeah man i'm working on it it's pretty good actually yeah, yeah. he projected on the him. image onto um onto the canvas oh. and then did it in gray lead 
and then in black texter and then did the rest of it, you know. You know what? We'll, we'll make that the backdrop for tonight's picture. Yeah, we will. Perfect. There's That's a bit of context for our listeners. It's heavy. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a cool thing. I've always had it in my house ever since. So let's let's get back to the pass outs then, seeing where we're looking at the poster. Yeah. So you, you said you, you started that that particular band in um, in uh, like a third year of, of uni or of, of sort of TAFE. And and were you doing when you do so we were doing covers gigs. Were you doing yeah. covers gigs with that that one that band? So it was. It, I actually did play music with AJ, but it wasn't called the Pass Outs yet. Um, we had Dave Mack on drums, um, and we were doing covers. It was a band called Little Eric. It was actually where I met um, Danielle. Um, what, what's the, the the Little Eric reference? So Little Eric was um, a character on The Bold and the Beautiful. Little Eric Forrester. And we just had to call it that. It was, it was just so bizarre. Yeah. And everyone just thought, like, maybe my name was Eric and because I, I was kind of short, maybe that, okay, well, that's just a, a go on the lead singer, so that must be Eric up there singing. Yeah, right, right. Other people thought maybe we were big, you know, um, South Park fans and it was like a, a Eric Hartman. Eric Hartman. Oh. Not until anyone asked us. We we're like, nah, it's actually from Bolton the Beautiful. Yeah. Just as a laugh, you know, because what do you cover band names really? Well, any band names. Well, that's right. Like, yeah, yeah. It can yeah. be anything really. Yeah. So yeah, little Eric. Um and so we we did that um before the pass outs uh, were ever a thing and we did the very first um, residence we res- residency we got um, was at in Greensboro at um, the pool hall. It was called Ricochet. Yep. Yeah, Ricochet. And um, I applied to play there on a Saturday night, and they gave us a gig. And and I was like, oh, so how'd we go? I'm like, yeah, cool. We'll see you next week. And I didn't realise, but I just landed a residency for the band. I just thought it was just one night. And they were like, no, yeah, this was your trial. Now, yeah, well, you're here every Saturday night, Dave. And we're like, okay. Well, every Saturday night. Every like, Saturday yeah. night. So you did one gig as an audition. Pretty much, And yeah. then they were like, we like it. Yep. You're on. You're on. And so we had that residency for about six to 12 months, I think. Yeah, right. Um, and then after which is, that- Which is um, like, there's not many residencies. I mean, yeah. that, that go that long anymore. No, not at all. No, people are really, like, like bookers are really- I don't know. Like maybe, maybe there's there's some um, you know industry research that suggests that residencies don't work or something like that. Because mm. like, I, I, yeah, it's always so hard to get like a six month residency. That's that's, that's gold. Incre- it's crazy. Gold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was doing some fill in work for a band that had been playing at the Swan Hotel in Richmond last year, and they have had that <clears throat> same Friday night for two. Or three years. Mm. I was like, "That's." Mad. I might be getting that wrong, but it was a long ass time. When they told yeah. me how long it was, I was like, "Holy shit!" And they go, "Yeah, well, we just show up, we do our job, and we leave. We don't, you know, have any dramas, you know." Yeah, yeah, we don't so, start fights. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so we did that, um, little Eric, and I just found myself, um, you know, doing the covers thing for a while. Um, but I was starting to write my own tunes in the background the whole time. And so the once Little Eric kind of finished up, I was like, well, I'm going to try and use these musos in this cover band to play my own tunes. And so we did. And so the very first incarnation of that band, we actually called ourselves Dirty Frank, which was a Pearl Jam B-side. I'm oh, right. Big Pearl Jam fan. I'm like, yeah. oh, no one's going to know that unless they're a hardcore Pearl Jam fan, what the hell Dirty Frank means. I thought that's a cool name. So we actually used that. 
ban- that name for a while, and it was it was Little Eric. It was the same member. So that was Paul Siriani, my older brother. Paul, he played bass. Um, that was also Adrian, um, who played guitar in in that um, band, uh, and also Dave Mack played the drums, and and I, and I played guitar and sang. Um, I haven't actually really spoken about my guitar playing yet, and I'll maybe just touch on that now before we move on to how that yeah, became yeah, the sure. pass out. Um, and that is, I, I had a love-hate relationship growing up with a guitar because my mum's a guitar teacher. And so I thought it was daggy. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So okay, I'm going fair back enough. in time yep. a little bit here, listeners, but bear with me. So growing up in the 80s, I was into, you know, skateboarding and Ghostbusters and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And music was always kind of daggy to me, especially the guitar, because that was what my mum did. You know, like every, not every night, but weeknights, kids would come around, um, you know, mature age students would come around. This was in Greensboro and in research. They would come and um, get lessons. And I always thought, oh, yeah, that's just mum's thing. I'm not, I'm not interested Fast forward to when I'm 16 and now I'm in a band and I'm now I'm singing and I'm not playing drums anymore. I'm like, oh shit, I've got no skills. I can't play the guitar. And I'm skills. To. Yeah, no skills. Oh my god. Yeah. Nunchuck skills. Bow staff skills. <laughs> you know, he's coming out. John Heater, the star oh, of Napoleon Dynamite. Oh really? Yeah, he's, he's What's gonna, he gonna do? He's he's doing a signing and a photo thing at that supernova pop culture expo oh, right, okay. in April. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> Um, is he yeah. going to wear the glasses? That's what I don't know. Is well, he going to dress up? I, I, I think everyone else would be dressing up for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But- <laughs> I'll put on my vote for Pedro shirt, you know, and freak him out. Um, so, yeah. And so, I was... I thought it was daggy. And so, I never really picked it up until I was 16. And ironically, I didn't actually go to my mum for lessons. I actually went to my older brother, Paul. Yeah, right. You were, no, fair enough. You didn't... You, as, you, uh, as you do. Yeah. You know. Um, mum, I'm yeah. so... <laughs> I want to rock out. Um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I never forget. I grabbed my mum's. It was. I, we still have it. It's up at my mum's place. It was an old mate and nylon string. And when I was first learning, I remember I taught myself really badly how to play "Review Mirror" by Pearl Jam. And that song has this real like chunky like gung 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 part in it. And I was using a pick. And I because that nylon string doesn't have a scratch plate on it. I oh, scratched no. the shit out of this vintage. 70s beautiful nylon string guitar as a 16 year old in 1996 like oh and mum's never let forgiven me for it because i've ruined it like you probably could get it fixed if you really wanted to but get it buffed out get it buffed out but now it's part of that thing so um yeah i that was my guitar playing experience really and, and i started playing the guitar more and more in high school my first song that i really look back on and i could actually play and sing at the same time was My Happiness by Powderfinger. Mm -hmm. So that's how late in the game it was that I could actually confidently play and sing. Because, you know, when I was in the high school band playing, I I was rubbish, you know. Like, we'd play Review Mirror, but, you know, I was really, you know, not very good, you know. It was really just kind of getting away with it, just singing really well and just like, you know, kind of strumming away on the guitar, not really making much noise on it. Um, So then eventually when I did, you know, join the original, uh, sorry, the the, um, covers band, that's when I did kind of kick up my guitar playing Mm -hmm. and decided to learn, okay, well, what songs do the singers of these bands that I'm covering do they actually play guitar on? And so I would learn, you know, The Middle by Jimmy Eat World because that was pretty accessible and easy to start playing. And obviously I did a lot of Powderfinger and because Pearl Jam was my favourite band, if it was a song Eddie Vedder played on, then I would learn that song, you know. Yep. So that was my entryway into playing guitar and singing. And so all that time I was like, well, you know, maybe I should start 
really trying to play, you know write my own tunes and obviously I did with Hemoglobin when you were 11 and that and there's some terrible you know recordings of me <laughs> you know bashing out these terrible original songs but yeah so like compared to I mean you, Hemoglobin you wrote wrote some of your own songs mm. um, and you started writing songs with what would become the pass outs yeah um, when do you reckon you you were, were like I think this is a good song like where you actually were like yeah I've like not necessarily like made the effort to make a good song, mm. but sort of you know look back on it and go, that's the first good song I wrote. That's a really good question, Sam. Um, I think I think late night TV would have to be it because that was the very first. At that at that point, we were still not the pass outs. At that point, I was by myself and I called myself Dave Live. That was the you know stage name I was going with. And I, I, I'll never forget, I, uh, mum and dad helped me pay for this studio time with um, Marcel Yamuni. Shout out to Marcel. Captain Vibe Studios in Diamond Creek. And um, at the time, I was being kind of mentored by this guy in Ivanhoe. And was it Ivanhoe? He lived somewhere in that area, Q maybe. And he was like, you know... Dave, let's let's get a. You need to write a hit song. Let's and it was really like motivating, and so you know write something really catchy. And so I did. I wrote this song called Late Night TV, and I still reckon it's a super catchy song. It's dated because it's all about late the night references. TV references. Yeah, yep, it's uh-huh. very very dated because all the guys I reference in the song um, aren't you know uh, on late night TV anymore. Um, but uh, as a song of that time, I think it's super catchy. And it was, yeah, the first time I felt, you know what, this is actually really fun, you know, putting a song together. And so I'd written the song, but then Marcel produced the fuck out of it. And he really made it what it was. So massive shout out to Marcel for making that tune what it, what it was. Um, and because I, you know, we dropped the coin on the, on the studio time, I'm like, well, let's get another song up as well. And so that was the second song, Always The Way, it was called. And I penned that one myself as well. So it was kind of those two songs. Always The Way was more of the serious kind of song. And the late night TV was kind of, kind of showing my comical side, you mm-hmm. know, of songwriting, which I never really have done again because... I learned pretty quick that unless it's really, really funny, um, you know, it's not it's not easy to make an audience applaud and laugh. You know, yeah, yeah. it's not like I'm Tenacious D up there. You know what I mean? Oh, unless God, all of the songs are comical, it's not going to work. Yeah. And I couldn't really think of many other funny kind of songs. You know, it was more just, you know, relationship stuff, you know, yep. when you're writing tunes. So. And and what what sort of process did you did you did you use a process for for writing when I wrote that one or, or any anything do you do you have a process? Um, not real. the The most songs that I'm most proud of are the ones that usually come to me like when I'm just about to fall asleep, and I've got a song stuck in my head and I have to get up and nut it out straight away, or like I'm in the shower I'm just kind of like singing to myself and I'm like singing a melody I'm like okay I got to get out of the shower and get dried and get grab the guitar and just you know get it out straight away when I sit down to write a song that's when I feel it's a lot harder to actually get yeah. that vibe you know because it's like magic fairy dust you're not really sure sometimes you can manufacture it and like there's a lot of songs that I've written that I'm like yeah this is sick and it's certainly manufactured in that way like I've sat down in with this precise intention of writing a piece of music but when yeah th- they do kind of like a bolt of light hit you and you you write it like that i feel that's the most fun but 
unfortunately, you can't always write tunes like that. Well, no, you, you, if you've got the pressure to write a song, then you need to write a song. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, and from, from the pass outs, mm. we, 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 like, how did that sort of evolve and, and, and yeah. get the, the sort of to, – to the point where it was a, a serious – Serious thing. Yeah, serious like thing That for was you. what yeah. I was doing. Um, well, yeah, as I said, we, we were playing as Dirty Frank and then um, the name had to be changed and some of the guys left that. And so before we even called it the Pass Outs, um, I started doing the Dave Live thing and wrote that note like TV and blah, 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 blah. Then I used that recording as fuel to garner interest from other musos to put a band together. And I think I'd just been, and I was going to see bands because all my friends were in bands and I was, you know, having a shower after after a, a gig one night or the next morning and I had a, a Pass Out stamp on my wrist and I was washing it off. And I was like, Pass Out, the Pass Outs. That's a cool name for a band. We'll call it that, right? So I had the name um, and... Uh, and I had access to all these musos because at the time I was working at Main Street Music. Um, and this was before actually landing. Um, this, this was like a year before. So this was 2006. So 2004, 2005, Dave Live, Dirty Frank, all that stuff. 2006, um, I uh, had thought of the name and I was working at Main Street Music. And then heading into 2007 that was when i actually formed the band and so the first incarnation of the band was uh ben quirk on guitar who i've um been lucky enough to interview for the for, for this podcast which has been great haven't interviewed john sanders yet but he will definitely be a future guest um and he played the drums of all things because he's actually a really insane guitar player but yeah, right. i needed a drummer and he's like i can play drums i'm like really he's like yeah i'll play drums in your band let's do it so it was really great um, so yeah, Ben Quirk on guitar, um, John Sanders on drums. Oh man, we had an original bass player and he was a teacher at the, at the, um, main street as well. But I, I was actually thinking about him today and I cannot remember his, maybe it was Ben or I don't remember, but yeah, he, he didn't last very long and we got another, um, guy called Jim, Jim Luxford from Perth. He had just moved down from Perth. So he played bass. And so that was the first incarnation of the pass outs. AJ wasn't actually in the pass outs at first. And we were, we were playing, we were playing, and I was playing guitar and, 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 you know, I was talking to Ben after rehearsal. I'm like, oh, you know, I really love AJ's guitar playing. He's like, well, why don't you ask him to join the band? You know, he, he was in your other band. Why don't you ask him? And I asked him and sure enough, he joined. So then we became a five piece. And I was still playing guitar on some songs. So some songs actually had three guitars <laughs> on them. It was massive. Um, but unfortunately that, incarnation of the band never recorded we um we we split up unfortunately and we got a new drummer in um de giorgio was his last name oh what's his first name mr de giorgio we'll call him and jim still was in the band and aj was um on guitar and obviously i was singing and that was when we recorded um choose your helmet the first ep of the pass outs yeah um and that was recorded in at rmit studios um, which was really, really cool with Tim Johnson. I know Tim. You yeah. know Tim? I've done done some recordings with Tim. Really? Yeah. He's yeah. such a great guy. Yeah, and he's really good too. Yeah, he is really good. Yeah, I'm going to do um, a recording oh, with, with Brett Glover and, and Troy Mayle. Mm. We did this, like, this thing. This, we just recorded a bunch of pop tunes and, and the idea was um, to start up like a wedding band sort of thing, like, ah. like a big a big wedding band. Yeah. And, and then I just got snowed under doing... 
wedding gigs for like two two years. Oh wow! This so it works. This, this is probably no, no, no. With other with like the Bombastics and ah, uh, not with those guys. You know, though. You know, other other agencies. Yeah, just getting these. Yeah, just it was and so it was always like, oh, we should do something with that. And Brett's like, you know, working like a motherfucker, oh, and Troy's man. working like a motherfucker, and yeah, you know, yeah. everybody was doing stuff, and we're yeah. like. I don't think we've got time to do this, man. No. <laughs> no. But it sounds good, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah, he was really good. He's good good mates with Troy, actually. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'll have to um, yeah. ask him about Troy next time I see him. Yeah. So, um, so Tim Tim recorded the pass house. Yeah. Choose your helmet. Mm. Um, and that that was... Oh, damn it, I keep whacking this. That's okay. This cable. We'll move it. Um, the, uh, th- this was... Um, this was a uh, an EP... LP. Yeah, it was an EP. Yep. Yeah, just five tracks. Yep. Um, it has my favourite track, favourite soft track that I ever wrote, really. I'm really proud of it. It was a song called Not That Easy. And uh, I just love that song. Just really, really love it. And whenever I do an acoustic, even sometimes when I do covers gigs, and I can You'll see people people aren't paying attention here, I'm just going to play one of my, my own songs. Well, yeah, I mean... You, you know, know what I mean? Or if I've really got them on side, yeah, yeah, I go, yeah. sweet, I'm going to lay all this one yeah. out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Band you might might not know. Yeah, they're, they're pretty indie. <laughs> yeah, it's the pass outs. Check them out. Yeah, check them out, man. That's it. I'm not affiliated with them at all. No, <laughs> but buy their merch, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there was um, how long on it as well. How long actually? That's a really sweet story. So how long I wrote um, as a uh, way to propose to my wife. So it was really I, I wrote this song. It was only like a little, it was kind of like a verse kind of thing. And I wrote it and I, I sung it to my lady. And it was so funny. It was, the story was actually pretty funny. We, I went all out. We, we went to the casino for the night, staying at Crown Casino. I brought my guitar and Danny didn't think anything of it. Because I would always bring my guitar to hotels back then when we were dating. Because I'd like to you know, tinker on the corner like I'm a muso or whatever. And so she didn't think anything of it. And as soon as you get to a hotel, you're either going to do two things. One, you're going to do the deed, or two, you want to go straight to the pool, right? <laughs> well, we're the pool, we're in the pool camp, right? That's what we like to do. We like to go straight to the pool. And that's all was on Danny's mind, was get to the pool. We're going to the pool. We're going to the pool, going to the pool. And all on my mind was, I need to propose to my future bride here. This is in my mind. And I had my guitar, and I had the ring and everything. And she'd actually picked out the ring, um, you know, a couple of months before. But she didn't think I'd had the coin saved up yet to buy it so she wasn't expecting me to propose for another six to 12 months you know what i mean but i had already been saving before i'd even showed her because i didn't want to be one of those guys proposing with a ring and then the girl actually says yes she's like can we change this fucking ring this is fucking ugly you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i just went i went the south route had the ring had the tune had the guitar and danny's getting ready for the pool i'm like oh babe just can we just um i want to just play this tune first before we leave she's like all right, fine. And she just sits down in a huff on the <laughs> on the bed. Hurry up, like this. And I'm like, tough fucking crowd. And so I play this tune, and and then I got down on one knee and and give her the and she just starts crying and she instantly feels really really bad. But it was a hilarious well, good. story. So she should. So she should. <laughs> and she said yes. Obviously, it was a very really you know, great moment. But um. Uh, yeah, so that song, even though it was still in its infancy when I proposed to Danielle, I'd, I had fleshed it out by the time um, we were in the recording phase and we had been playing it for a while. And then 
three years later, I actually played the song at our wedding. Oh, nice. So it was a nice little bookend. Yeah. You know, um, which was really cool. So there you go. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, so that was that was um, the first EP, Choose Your Helmet. And um, I actually, because uh, I'm a psycho, um, I, the name of the, el- the EP was Choose Your Helmet because it had four helmets on the cover. There was a um, Stormtrooper helmet. There was a stack hat. There was a motorcycle helmet and a, did I say Viking helmet? No. No, Viking helmet. And so I only got 100 of them pressed and 25 of them each had each helmet. Oh, right. Okay. On the disc. So you would, you would open up the EP and there was either a Stormtrooper helmet, a Viking helmet, a motorcycle helmet or a stack hat. And so the graphic designer who was a mate of mine had to, I mean, he'd already done the, the, the four helmets for the cover. So we just, you know, had to give Replicat or whoever the hell did it, you know, we want 25 of them, but with this disc, you yep. know. And so Choose Your Helmet was the gimmick. And so when you go to the pub to see the pass outs and you want to take us home with you, like, well, you can take us home, but you have to choose which helmet that you want. So, so what, was the, what was the idea behind Choose Your Helmet? Was it just like... I think it was just like the idea, like I oh, like choose, choose your weapon, or like you know, like yeah, when you're playing yep, a video yep. game, or choose this, choose like choose your helmet. Oh, that sounds funny. We'll call the EP that. Yeah, right. And mm-hmm. then just the idea of it being very unique. And now that there's only 100 of them out there, whenever I go to a family member's house or a mate's house from back that in that time, and I see it sitting in their CD collection, it, it, nothing brings me more joy than going and opening up and seeing, seeing which helmet they which got. Which one they got, yeah, because yeah. yeah, there's only 25 of, them, of each of them. Yeah, know? right. Yeah. So. And, and so did you, did you do much, um, much touring with the pass outs? Mm. Unfortunately not. Mm. We didn't tour. We only did one tour to Sydney um, because I really – the pass outs were a band that, you know, we, we, we were very much influenced by Pearl Jam. You know, I'm going to call it like a set, massive fan of that band um, at the time. And, you know, I still am, you know, I can't really shake that. And so that really inf- in, uh, infiltrated my songwriting. And so Pearl Jam in, t- in the 2000s, they already had their day in the sun. So bands that sound like them weren't really being featured on radio or mm. festivals or anything like that. So we didn't really get much of a run in, in that area. It was re- We were really like the, the independent band, that, that quintessential Melbourne band. And we played everywhere. We played places that don't even exist anymore. Mm. You know, the Green Room on Swanson Street Walk we played doesn't exist anymore. You know, we played the tote. We played 161. Yeah. We, we played um, uh, the Greyhound Hotel in St. Hilda. Oh, right. Yep, yep. Espy a million times. You know, I, I remember earning my stripes at the Espy. They used to have a night there called Collage, and we would play there on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. Who the fuck is coming out to see live music on a Tuesday? You know what I mean? Was it always pretty quiet on a Tuesday? Yeah, it was pretty quiet. Night? But you know yeah. what? I got to play the front bar at the Espy. Yeah. And, so, and that was a big opportunity. Yep. Whether there was 50 people in the room, I didn't care. You know, it was to play that space. And obviously, later on in the, in the career of the Pass Outs, we did eventually get to play um, the Gershwin Room and we got to play the front bar. Um, Which do you reckon is better, Gershwin Room or front bar? I think the, the vibe of the front bar, you just couldn't beat it because yeah. it was just messy and dirty and grungy and rad and, you know. But the Gershwin had more of a... Uh, an event kind of feel because that was the ticketed room, wasn't it? You know, 
you would have to yeah, buy a ticket yeah. to get in there or yeah, at I, least I, pay I, to get in. Frankie Frankie played in both those. Yes. And and they would have went off at the front bar. Oh, yeah. I went off at the front bar. <laughs> <laughs> that was like yeah, such a good such a great vibe. Yeah. Such Have you been there since they, they've reopened it? I haven't. No, no. I but haven't I really either. want to go back because yeah. the plans that I read on Google about six months ago was that they were going to have a podcast studio upstairs. Oh, get fucked, really? So if they are, and they were like encouraging podcasters to come down and do their show there, I'm like, well, if the Hell yeah. art of touring could have a second home there, that would be amazing because a lot of the guests that I have don't live anywhere near Epping and it's a bit of a trek to get them out here. Yeah, yeah. And yep. so I have done a couple, you know, um, where I go to them. <clears throat> but if, you know, yeah, it's good that you mentioned that. I'll, I'll definitely um, ask them. And, and now that we're up to episode 42, you know, they'll see that, they'll, you know, this isn't a flash in the pan. This dog's actually serious about keeping this show going every week. Um, they should, they should um, I don't see why they would have anything, you know, to say about it. It'd be really great. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we played the SB man. We play fucking everywhere, you know, the pass outs and, uh, yeah, the touring, we only did one. Sh- yeah. That's what your original one, one question. tour to Sydney, one tour to Sydney. And, and you do, you, I reckon you would have done one gig. We did two. Oh, two so at the same a- place, two nights in a row. No. So oh, really Friday night was at a place called easy tiger. Yep. And then the Saturday night was a place called FBI social. Oh, right. Both. Of which don't exist anymore. Yeah. Oh, and man, this was only in 2014. Man, Sydney. What, what, oh. the, what the fuck are they doing? They're, I don't know, mate. Killing it. Killing yeah, they it. really are. And they're the live music scene. up there is just, yeah, it's being killed all the time. Yeah. The, the casino's open all hours because, you know, the government owns it so they can do whatever the fuck they want. Mm. But um, all the live music venues have to close by two and there's a lockout law and that. So, yeah. well, they're not closed. They have... Maybe it's one o'clock is the lockout so you can keep partying for maybe another couple of hours I, after that. Yeah, I think one, once you're on the street... You got to go home. They can't let you in. Yeah, or something pretty like much. That. From, yeah, from yeah. A, a fairly early hour. But I, I mean, I remember doing. I remember doing gigs there, and there was always we'd always get these um, these contracts that would be you can't do a gig the the weekend either side. So ah. and you you can't do another one on the weekend. Which venue was this? Oh, we I can't even remember. We played we played a few at Annandale. Oh, Annandale, yep. Um that's 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 one of the ones I remember. Mm. There was this the, the Hollywood? Oh, wow. Um yeah, I I really I really have I'm struggling to remember the names of these yeah, places. Yeah, yeah. Um because this would have been a few years ago, but I remember like we were trying to, you know, schedule our tour. Right. And and I remember going we're doing a gig in Sydney. And we can't do another gig in Sydney for a fortnight. So we'd go do a gig in Sydney and then tr- travel around everywhere and then come back through Sydney so that we could do two gigs. So you can, so you can gig oh, up and down. Oh, yeah, yeah. So you'd start and end your tour at yeah, that Yeah, and so you'd do like, you know, Sydney, Canberra, um, you know, Wollongong. Wollongong? Yeah, like we'd go up the coast. Mm. Um, this was with Frankie. Byron, you know, Gold Coast. We, yeah, all up, all the way up to Coolum. Yeah, fart ass about, and then make our way back. Far out, man. Yeah, and yeah. it was yeah, like, but it was just it was just so tough to to do Sydney gigs. Yeah, so hard, and the traffic was always shit. Like loading in oh. was always difficult. And yeah, what's going on up there? I don't know. It's crazy, man. So yeah, we did the Sydney gigs, and they were great, man. Like we had a lot of fun, and it was really cool that the guys, because the guys in the band at that point had been in the band for about three or so years. I didn't touch on this, but the Passouts had a lot of band member changes. It was one of those bands where I guess like 
I don't know what it was. I mean, I feel like I'm easy to work with. I don't get drunk. Maybe, you know, maybe they people. But I mean, original music, I think I've learned that because you don't get paid for it, everything goes back into the band. People get sick of that really quickly. Yeah. And they're like, just give it, give me your covers gig so I can get paid. And Yeah. You yep. know. So unless you're the, the showrunner or you're really just into playing original music, the, the lifespan of original band in Melbourne um, is pretty short. Mm. You know, and so I was able to keep that band going for ten years. I mean, it's still technically going because we do these great Pearl Jam shows every year. Yep. Whenever the Pearl Jam albums come to twenty five anniversary things, like this year's going to be Vitality, so I'm going to get the lads back together for that. Um, okay. Hopefully, yep. in this first half of twenty nineteen. Yeah, there's there's no no plans for that at the moment. I mean, no no plans locked in. There's plans to do it, obviously, there's but plans no, to no, do details it. no details. No details. Yeah. Yet. No. No. I have um uh, an, uh, approached James Young, and he's he's put me on. To Darby's book are there now at the Cherry. Unfortunately, because it was great oh, when he would book. Is the Cherry Bar moving? Yes. Oh, yeah, I heard a rumour it was yes, moving. Yes, it yeah, is, yeah. man. I, this literally happened this week. Big news in the Melbourne music scene. Yeah. Because um, that was where the Pass Outs launched their album, you know. Yeah, right. The, the Cherry Bar really, for the Pass Outs and for my musical career, holds my favourite memories as, of playing music in this town. All right, well, tell me about that then. Let's do it. Yeah. So, you know, the pass outs, we'd worked, I'd worked my tits off, as had the lads in the current lineup of that band. And it was me and Frank Zammett. He'd been the bass player for the longest time. We didn't have any drummer at that point. We didn't have a lead guitar player. So we were like, screw it. I want to put these songs that we'd been playing for, you know, four years or so down. We were working with Timmy J again. We'd had that great, you know, experience with him. Um, Frank hadn't had a chance to work with him yet, so he was working with him for the first time. And so from 2010 to 2013, no, 2011, sorry, we started and we we recorded it all the way to 2013. Um, uh, We put the full album together and I was like, screw it, I'm going to hire a drummer. We got Venom from Electric Mary and a a million other bands to play the drums on the album. Um, and then I just hired all my favourite guitar players to appear. Brett Woodley's on it. Tony Andonov is on it. Um, Andre Warhurst appears. And also uh, Rick Rally appears as well um, on the album. And so they all did two or th- one or two songs each on the record. We launch it. And it's just everything I hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. You know, we I put absolutely everything into this release the artwork for the record is ridiculous it's so cool absolutely love it mm. it was a massive poster it was they were up in the venue i would go there just to check out the poster art like you know weeks in advance to see how it looked i'm like oh my god we're up here it's happening it's actually happening march um of 2014 um and we invited everyone out there and it was it was packed i don't think it was sold out but it was sardines. It was if it wasn't a sellout, it was pretty bloody close. Yeah, right. You know, it was a Saturday night too, and we'd earned our stripes at that venue. You know, we were doing the Wednesday nights. We did a couple of support spots, and then James Young said, "Yep, yeah, album launch. I'll I'll give you the room. You know, I'll give you the ball. Let's see if you can run with it." And we did. And so ever since then, up until he changed, and actually now, I think it's it's good that he's changed, and actually now he's got someone else to do the booking because um, to be a booker slash owner is a very, very tough gig. Mm. Um, but it was great when he was doing it because I had earned my stripes with him whenever I asked for a gig. Well, it's it all about the relationships, yes. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And, and when someone moves on... Yeah, to start that relationship yeah, yeah, again. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the toughest thing about doing it. So that, man, that gig was amazing. Not without controversy, though. <laughs> so we kind of touched on it in the Pass Hats episode, but old mate in the band... 
the guitarist at the time, he was in a uh, a relationship, let's say, with the drummer's ex-missus. Oh, no. And so that all came out like two weeks before the album launch. And I'm like, fuck, guys, can we please keep this band together for another two weeks so we can launch this record? And they did because they didn't even tell me about it. They knew, they they found out about it, you know, and they'd had a row behind the scenes, but they were like, Dave's been planning this for fucking years. We can't implode right now. We have to be professional for him. And they were. And thank God that they kept it together for me. <laughs> yeah. Because if they hadn't have, I would have been without either a drummer or a guitarist two weeks out. Yeah. Before an album launch. And and how many minutes after the, first, the gig finished did it take to- <laughs> <laughs> to say, to, to see you later. Look, no, nah, I mean, look, it was very amicable and they knew that if the band was to continue, one of them was going to have to go. And obviously it was the guy that had done the, you know. Um, and look, they weren't seeing each other at the time, but still, they've been mates since primary school. Oh, shit. That so was really, but look, you know what? They're still together. They're, it's a genuine relationship. So even though sometimes, sometimes uh, relationships start with a rocky beginning, they're clearly in love and they're still together. So yeah. hats off to to a man, you know, like good on him, you know. Mm. So, yeah, um, uh, it was a crazy night, but we were able to pull it off. And obviously, yeah, my other fantastic memories of that venue um, was with um, obviously Smokestack. I can't, I can't say, even though, you know, I'm not with those boys anymore, um, we put on some killer shows there um, and – had that room absolutely pumping, you know, more on than one occasion. Um, but yeah, the Pearl Jam nights that we put on there, that was incredible. The first ever experience as a performer getting to jump into a crowd <laughs> and stage dive and f- crowd surf as a performer and not just like as a bloke like at a, at yeah, a, gig, yeah, at a gig crowd yeah, surfing because yeah, yeah. we've all done that you know like getting near the barricade and kind of diving into the audience and crowd surfing for a bit or whatever or maybe some maybe sometimes I remember it actually starting like maybe halfway between the stage and the audience and getting someone to lift you up and crowd surfing into the barricade like towards the band that was that's the way you do it of course what an idiot but as a you know as a punter right but as a muso diving i'd never done that in my life and this only happened maybe what 4 years ago and i got to dive into the audience and obviously everyone caught me it was amazing <laughs> So life life goal is shaped yeah, yeah, in yep, that moment. Yep. I think it's actually my my Facebook profile photo at the moment. That's oh, how, is, is you you crowd is surfing? Is me crowd surfing? Yeah, yeah right. at that very first cherry gig. So that's how how much I love. Was that, that place. was that with, with smokestack on? No, that was with was, the. With, the um, Pass outs. The pass outs. Yeah. It was the pass outs, Smokestack Rhino, the Warbirds, and a band called I Am Mine, uh, and and some featured guitar players, Tony Antonov, Rick Rally, and Austin Dunmore, who weren't in bands at the time but were featured on the night, um, all came together to put – and Gabriel – or maybe Gabriel was on the second incarnation. Yeah, he was the second. Um, all came together to put that album – to bring that album to life. Mm. The first album, 10, of Pearl Jam. So, yeah, it was that night. I've never tried crowd surfing at an original show. And yeah, right, right. I would be – if I ever did, we would have to be very – we would have to be very successful. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because usually it's a very thin – even there's a, it's, it's, even though there's a lot of people at your show. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, you just got to just go really small venues. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's it. Yeah. Yep. And then you could do it. Yep. Just uh, playing a 
I mean, I did a gig in Clifton Hill not long ago in the yeah. back room of Clifton Hill, and it was like chockers. Yeah. But there might, might have been like 10 people there in the yes. room, but it was like, you know, really jammed Just in. Just jammed yep. in. You could have done it. Put yep. trumpet down for a song and fucking go yeah, out just there. Yeah, just go. Yes. I don't know. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, and so, um, when, when was the, so when was that, that Pearl Jam gig, that 10? So, that would have been 20, I want to say 16. Yeah, right. Okay. I think that was when the- um, the 25th anniversary of it was, and then 2017 we did Versus because they came up with that very next... Um, no, that was the beginning of 2018, the Versus one. Mm. But that's still... It's a quick turnaround. Like very two, quick. Two years for albums yeah. is a quick turnaround. And so now 2019 is the 25th anniversary of um, of Vitalogy. Yeah. So right. we're going to be doing that one next. Um, and and uh, so the Smokestack Rhino, mm. it um, progressed from um, the pass outs. Yes, it did. You, you did a bit more travelling with that a particular band? A hell of a lot more travelling, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For the very first time in my musical career, I was seeing the country mm-hmm. as a as a musician. Um, the only other time I'd toured or, or played music outside of um, the pass-outs was when I did, and we'll, we'll get back to Snowstack Rhino, um, was when I did a, a show in the Caribbean for a whole month. Oh, yeah. I remember you talking about that one. Yeah. yeah so um, I got to play in the Caribbean for a month and they actually lost my luggage. How do you mean? Well, so me and Danny, we were booked to play, I was booked, sorry, to play solo acoustic covers in the Caribbean for Club Med. And so we were flying from Melbourne to LA and then LA to Miami and then Miami down to Turks and Caicos. And so from, no, sorry, uh, to, sorry, LA to New York and then New York to down to Miami. It was crazy. What? Yeah, but, but we, we saved like thousands of dollars oh, right, by okay. doing it that way. And so from New York to Miami, they lost my guitar and we got our luggage, but no guitar. And so by the time we got down to the Caribbean, it was still, it was in Idaho or some shit. Like it was gone. It was spent, sent to the completely wrong place. And so I was booked to play and thank God there was another resident guitar player at the resort who it was like a crossover so for two weeks he was still going to be there so he would play the evening slot and i would do the afternoon slot and then the next day i would do the evening slot and he would do the afternoon right, slot. Okay. and so luckily he was gracious enough after his gig he'd be like here you go dave you can use my guitar for your spot and um it was a good three or four days that we had to do that before the oh, guitar before finally arrived to the yeah in into turks and caicos so thank God because yeah if if it hadn't arrived and so then the very next time because I did it twice this thing I we did it in um, the Caribbean and then we did the same tour over um, with my lady um, uh, in the Maldives and by that point I had we had actually scattered out local music shops in the area just in case just in as case, a redundancy as a redundancy like okay how long is it going to take to get from this bloody resort in the Maldives <laughs> to the local music store to buy a new instrument because I knew there'd be nothing on this island yeah right you know unless there was so happened to be another musician so yeah so that was wild um, but I also before I get into the smokestack stories I did have a story I wanted to tell about when we were just holidaying and this was before the Caribbean and the Maldives we did it we planned a trip to um to america and we were doing the west coast and the east coast and we i had this romantic romantic idea in my head that i'd bring a guitar with me and every major city i was in i'd go and do an open mic night and just sign up for the open mic night and play right it's it's america's huge it's got to be an open mic night like every night right no there's not 
right? We get to LA the first night. We go to this place and it doesn't even exist. What? The website that I was looking at was that old. I didn't realize it didn't have a date on it. And so I'm like, sweet. Yep, there's one every Thursday. We've landed on Thursday night. We'll do it the Thursday. And it didn't even exist. So that was the start of my musical career in the States <laughs> over in a flash. Yeah, right. The New York we finally, because we did at Las Vegas and whatever, and then we flew over to New York for five nights and we found one. I think it was the first night we were there. And it was this weird thing where they get a hat and you, you um, pick out a number. And if you pick out number 42, you're the 42nd person to play that night. Oh, Jesus. For, like, And you're, you're not being facetious about the number 42 no. because it's the 42nd. Episode. It's. Yeah, a little, yeah. I'm just picking that out of my Did, brain. So, you, so you didn't literally pick out number forty two. No, yeah. I picked out something pretty, pretty bloody high though. Yeah, maybe yeah. fifty something. Jesus. Yes, that's how many people. And it was meant to be a three minute only slot. So if I'm thinking I'm fifty, whatever it was. Danny's got a way better memory, but it was a bloody late number, yeah. fifty something at least. So I'm thinking, okay, well, three minutes each. We'll probably be here for maybe two hours, and then I'll be up. It shouldn't be too bad. This guy who ran it was such a prick. He would let all his mates play for five, six, seven minutes. But if he didn't know you, he would cut you off after your first song and he may have only been playing for a minute, a minute and a half. And so I kept going up to him like, mate, is there any chance he could put me on early? I'm only here for one night. I'm from Australia. You know, can these guys are going over time. Can you, you know, just slip me in? Nah, mate, just wait for your number, wait for your number. And so, yeah, he kept letting all these other people go. Finally, it was my turn. I'm like, okay, I've only got three minutes here. I'm going to play a three song medley. And so I played my first song and then went to go into my second because I kind of left a little bit of a pause so people could kind of clap and then kind of kept playing. And he pulled my mic down and he said, your time's up, big fella. I'm like, I haven't even played for three minutes, bro. What are you doing? He's like, get off. So it was rough, super rough. Why Like, why do people put themselves through this? I don't know. No. And, and there's not like it, the caliber of the musicians were amazing. Like it was really, really bad. But I will kind of bookend this story with a great experience. The very following night, Erwin um, Thomas, Jack Jones um, uh, was living in New York at the time. And he said, oh, look, you know, I can't hang out the whole time you're here, but I'm definitely able to hang out on this night. We'll go to this place called the Rockwood Music Hall down in Greenwich Village or wherever it was. We go there and we see these bands and they were fucking amazing. There was this blues band that just killed it. There was another like country duo called Whitehorse. We loved them so much. We bought their EP, talked to them after the gig. And it just restored my faith in New York City as a music hub because up until that point, well, I'm that's just a, that's thinking- a, That's a pretty brutal, br- brutal first experience. Yeah, yeah, all these terrible open micers that we like couldn't yeah. even string two songs together to save their life. But then, obviously, this place was like the place to play in New York. And so it just yeah, attracted. Yeah. So we liked it that much. We went back there the next night and just saw more music again from all these other- Yeah, awesome we want to find bands. a good thing. Exactly. Yeah. And because we were only there for five nights. Well, we know we like this place. We're going to go back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like- New York is one of those places where it, you don't. It doesn't matter what music you like, mm. you can any night of the week you can probably find the best in the world of that particular. I don't like if you like flamenco guitar or whatever. Yeah, you like it's Tuesday night. Where's the best place to look at flamenco guitar music? Let's go on to a Tuesday that. night. Yeah. Oh, it's the best in the world, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that's that's just the way it is. It's just such a bananas place. Yeah, so bananas. Yeah, and um, and so. 
so you did the, the, the that the, that you did two stints in the the Maldives and the Caribbean. Caribbean, yeah. Yep. And and then um, yeah, the pass outs, yeah, just did that one tour, and then when the pass outs were kind of finishing up, well, not that they were finishing up, I was still playing with them. Ironically, I met the guys from Smokestack Rhino at a pass outs gig at oh, the right. at, at the SB. So we had launched the album in March of 2014, and then November of 2014, I approached the SB. I said, hey, can we do a, a vinyl launch? I'd already fucking launched the vinyl, but that was just a way to kind of get my foot in the door to get a front bar Saturday night spot at the SB, you know, because mm-hmm. it has to be an event to get to get a gig in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. You can't just, unless you're a you, really established band. Yeah, and, th- and that's why one of the reasons residencies don't, don't go down anymore, because people yeah. are like... Uh, we prefer to have someone who's launching something because, yeah. you know, and, and, and mix it up. We don't want you to be doing too many gigs. Just exactly. enough to, to keep our place busy. That's right. Mm. And so um, we, we uh, put it as a, a vinyl launch and I didn't do the booking. The, the guy who was running the night at the time did the booking and he booked this band, Smokestack Rhino. I hadn't heard of them, but I'm like, yeah, sweet. You know, throw them all on and play with anybody. And they roll in. The singer's singing away and he's kind of knows the tunes, but he's kind of like, you know, not really vibing. Um, bass player blows me away. Drummer blows me away. Guitarist, backing vocalist blows me away. I'm like, these guys are insane. And, you know, obviously I'd already met them before the show, but, you know, I made a point to talk to Kinger again after, after his set. I was like, these guys are great, but what's going on with your singer? He seemed like he was kind of phoning it in, to be fair. And he said, oh, look, you know, we're actually looking for a singer at the moment. I'm like, why? Why? You sing. You should just be the front man. <laughs> you know, you've got the look, you've got the, the long hair, the hat, the whole bit. Why don't you? So I was like, no, nah, I really want a front man for my band. I'm like, okay, well. Um, and I wasn't looking to join a band at the time because I was gung-ho about the pass-outs, 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 you know. And we just, I dropped so much money on the album. I want to, you know, see a, a little bit of a return of my investment, play as many gigs as possible. Um but then I heard the tunes and I was like, oh, fuck, I really like this music <laughs> and auditioned and, and got the gig. And so I was with those guys for four and a half years. And now it's the wound isn't as fresh as it was. I can look back on the time and, man, we did some fucking great gigs, man. Really, really cool gigs. Um, and so there was a few funny stories because we did so many shows. We were doing this gig in, um, I think it was Brisbane. And the lads like to drink now, and I don't, you know, take anything away from that for them. They want to unwind after a show, that's fine, have a few beers, no worries. I'm a singer, I can't really do that and put on a gig the next night. Um, And so old mate, drummer, Jeremy, God love him, he'd had a few to drink, and we're in the hire car, and he decides to stick his feet out the window of the car, going over this bridge. And as soon, literally as soon as he had done it, we hear the whoop, whoop. <laughs> the oh, police no. pull us over in the heart Who's of Brisbane. Driving? Um, I believe Kinga was driving. Oh, shit. Right? And so I'm in the back with Jeremy and Shano's in the front with Kinga and they go, what were you thinking? Of course we're going to pull you over. And I reckon they pulled us over for about a half an hour and Kinga got fined. And I, I'm not sure if he got any demerit points, but obviously, you know, Jeremy gave him the money for the fine. And but yeah, it was it was hilarious. Straight away. Straight away pulled over. Oh motherfucker. Yeah. Um oh my goodness. Another funny story that happened with those guys was down in Tasmania. Have you ever done any gigs in Tasmania? No, I haven't. And it's it's a it's a, a constant uh 
Because like, I, I, I have a house in <laughs> Tasmania. What? Yeah, I do. I have a house in Tasmania. Own a house? Yeah, yeah. I own a house Holy in Tasmania. I, I love it there. I love going there. Yeah. I'll, I'll oh, but you've never toured there, but you've ne- been never there, played mates. a gig there. I'm thinking, how do you own a house and you've never been there? Yeah, yeah. No, no. No, no. I've been to Tassie, but <laughs> yeah, I've never okay. never done a gig in Tassie. But okay. I, 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 like last year I was there. Yeah. 11 times last oh, year. Oh, wow. Yeah, love the place. And so do you use the house for yourself or you rent it out? Oh, I, re- I rent it out to um, like Airbnb. It, but Oh, wow. That's but, cool. But um, when I go, yeah, go bike riding there. It's good. It's yeah, good stuff. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, we did the gig in Tassie. And, you, I mean, you've been there that many times. Have you ever had any bad turbulence in the plane going to Tassie? Oh, yeah. I've had, uh, I, I, yes. Yeah, yes. I've had one bit of, like, really bad turbulence. Yes. Where the plane, like, dropped. Yeah. And everybody went went up in the air, like, off their seats. <laughs> oh, my you know. God. Mine wasn't that bad, but it was pretty friggin' close. Yeah, and it was, like, like Scary. white knuckle. I, I was, like, you know, I was on my phone. Yeah. And just, like, boom, you know, and I was... I, <laughs> You know, you know, when was the last time you heard of a plane crash in Australia? Was, no. So, so I never, I never go. Oh my God, we're going to die. No, I never think that. I no. just think, oh yeah, it's turbulence or whatever. Yeah, but not everybody thinks that. In fact, very few people turns out to think that because it was like people were Pe- screaming, going, go, like going full panic, full panic, wow. and it was just like this momentary, you know. <sighs> yeah, yeah, just like it was a second, a yes. second's worth of. But man, zero p- people, gravity. people would be, you know. PTSD sort of, you know, yeah. like, like they, were, they were talking about it off the plane and everything. Yeah, it was full man. On. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I will not gig there. And if you give me an invite to your place, <laughs> I will probably sooner jump on that bloody Spirit of Tasmania than get on another plane to Tassie. Yeah, right. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah, right. And you're talking to someone that won't even go on a roller coaster, eh? Like, I don't do rides. Yeah, right. You know, and so here's me pursuing a, 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 a creative pursuit, which obviously leads me to a lot the, of plane trips. The pinnacle. The pinnacle of what you're doing is, doing is, is, yeah, is yeah, that yeah, you're going to yeah. be on a plane yep. 90% of the time, yeah. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, you don't feel the turbulence in first class, though. You know that. Oh, is that right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a great... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Having said that, I did get to go business class. Oh. For a, and it was amazing. And that's... I, I, I have a, a virgin Astra, uh, a credit card. And uh, all my points are on that. And so I get the frequent, you know, uh, five miles or whatever on that. The thing. velocity points. Velocity points. Yeah. You're with me. Yeah. Man, I've got about 50,000 of those velocity points yeah, at the man. moment. Yeah, like. They're amazing. Yeah. I've got to, I've got to figure out how, to, how I'm going to well, drop here's, those. Here's your opportunity. I'm not sure if they still do it. They probably do. But they had a special at the time. Use your velocity points. And for 60 bucks, we'll upgrade you to business class. And I'm like. Shit, yeah. When else am I going to use these bloody velocity mm-hmm. points? And it was mm-hmm. just a Canberra. We could have, dr- I could have driven it, but I'm like, screw it. I'm going to fly it. Business class to Business Canberra. Class to How Canberra. long does it take to drive to Canberra? Like to, to drive there, maybe eight hours. No, but it was like to fly there. It's like an hour. An hour. It was about an hour and twenty, maybe hour and a half. Man, it was awesome though, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, I go in there and like, how are you, Mister Siriani? I'm well, thank you, Trevor, or whatever, because this has his name on his thing or whatever. Going to get you anything? Yeah, I have a rum and coke, thanks. Like I ordered a rum and coke, like, yep. as, and it was in it's my 60 hand. Sixty bucks. I can drink sixty dollars worth of alcohol. In yeah, yeah, minutes. yeah. Not a problem. Before we even left the tarmac, I'd already finished my first drink. Oh, beauty! It yeah, was amazing. Well, why not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They gave me this quince paste and cheese. 
<laughs> and so when I when I finished the gig, I went to the supermarket and bought quince paste and cheese and these little crackers just so I could emulate that experience. I don't want to. I don't want to take over your interview, but no, no, like, please like do. The, the the first time I flew with uh, my children, so this was um, July 2016. Mm. Uh, my my wife, we went to Hong Kong. We all went to Hong Kong, and um, the uh, Simone flew. Through through friends, through knowing people who's, who who work for Cathay Pacific, Simone got a, a first class. No, no, maybe it was business class, or yeah, I think it was it a was business class flight yeah. to Hong Kong. But we had to, we had to like she got the flight to Hong Kong, yeah, and I had to not get the flight to Hong Kong, ah. the, the Cathay flight to Hong Kong. So it was one person got a business flight, mm. and so we looked around for for like flights, and we bought Virgin. Um, Australia flights to to Hong Kong mm. with just the just the kids. So Simone's like flying the day before. She's in business class, love and love. Like, yeah, in the morning, I've I'm getting the kids to the airport oh. at um at like nine or ten. It wasn't stupid stupid hours, but it was yeah. It was you know we were flying out at twelve or something like that. Sure. A- anyway, anyway, it's like one of, the, one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> was flying with two kids on my own. Mm. Yeah, it was the worst, but um. We got to, we got to the, the airport and there was this this huge um like press conference that just just happened. Whoa! Yeah, like big press conference in the, in the Virgin area. And I was like, yeah. oh, I, like I noticed, I acknowledged that the the press conference had happened, but I decided that I had more pressing things to worry about. Yes, like my kids having meltdowns. Yes, so I, I moved on and bought got tickets and went through and were. We got to the gate and and um, we sat down and we had a, a hot chocolate with the kids and a coffee and then we went to the um to the uh, boarding gate ah and there's these people standing around with like uh, glasses of orange juice and and champagne huh and I'm like at the gate at it's just a bog standard flight to Hong Kong or, yes or so I thought yes and they're handing around like pastries and and like they they ask Xavier if he wants an orange juice and Xavier's like oh yeah I'll have an orange juice like no. Not, it's not for you. That's for other people. And she's like, no, no, no. It's it's for everybody. And I was like, where am I? What, what what's going on? Yeah. And, and I didn't I didn't ask the question. I'm thinking that I'm like, yeah, something something's going on. Yeah. Anyway, we get to our seats on the plane, and there's these like these care packages on huh. on, on, on the seats. It's like biodynamic chocolate, big block of biodynamic chocolate, all these soaps. Yeah. You know all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, what? What is going on? And then, and as we're sort of like taking off, there's this water, these water cannons, this like, like, you know, like they've, they've got the fire engines, like shooting these cannons of water in this arch. And then we're going, going through this, this arch. And then Richard Branson walks past. Oh my God. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Holy shit. And, 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 and I was like, Alex, like my kids, Alex, this guy owns the plane. She's like, <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Right. No worries. Okay. And Zay's like munching on his chocolate bar, just going, you know, just getting stuck into it. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I've, at this point, I just flick the kids the, the, the iPads like frisbees and just go, right, see you in eight hours. Yes. Um, and, but on, so the whole flight, it's, it was the actually inaugural flight of Virgin yes. Australia to Hong Kong. We went to the, we, we got tickets to the very, very first, first one. Flight. Had no, no idea. Oh my gosh. And look, everything was fine. Branson so, was on your flight. Branson was on the flight and he's like talking to everybody. He had, had a chat with him and just. Well, you had a chat with yeah, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, just, you know, like what, what's happening? Well, you know, like. Oh you know, my so, God. So I didn't even realize this was the first flight. Oh yeah. We, we've been wanting to do it for a while. It's been in the pipework and all this sort of stuff. 
I left my iPad on the plane. Oh my god! Or one of the iPads I left on the plane. Yes. They thought this is no. I'm not even joking here. Yeah. They thought Richard Branson was trying to pull a Swifty on on Hong Kong airport, and he'd left his iPad there, and so they sent it to his hotel. They sent my ho- my iPad to Richard, <laughs> Richard Branson's, Branson's hotel. hotel room, and they're and they're like, "Here's your here's your iPad that you left in." And I, he's like, "I didn't leave the iPad. I didn't like leave the iPad." So they sent it back to Melbourne, and yeah. I'm like, "Meanwhile, I'm freaking out about this fucking iPad, iPad. and it, and it's in Melbourne, safe, safe and sound." <laughs> anyway, just sitting in the like, yeah, the, but getting okay. getting through customs with two kids who haven't, you know, it's like. The equivalent of you know eight pm yeah. for them, yeah, and, and they've just you know eaten shit food and like oh. air, airport airplane food and how long is it to? Um, it's about eight hours. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, on the way back for kids though, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it's just tough. Yeah. And then on the way back, get to our on the plane. Zave walks up to his seat. And he goes, "Where's my block of chocolate?" <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was like that every time. <laughs> yeah. And he was like shattered, absolutely oh, shattered. He thought this was some good chocolate. You know? Yeah, man. <laughs> biodynamic, you know. <laughs> biodynamic, bioorganic or whatever. Like, That's yeah. insane. Yeah, yeah, he loved it. And yeah. so what about old mate? Did he let you take a selfie with him or was was it all like, oh, oh no. I think I, 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 no, I, I'm not really one of those people who take selfies with, with other people. Sure, yeah. Um, it was more just a genuine interaction. I did take a photo of him. Okay, but, yeah, But cool. I, didn't, I didn't go, oh, can we have a, you a know. Picture, yeah. I mean, obviously people do that all the time and I think, yeah, you know. Yeah. Famous people, yeah, w- would be kind of used to it, I guess. But they I just- are, yeah. Because well, I doing that um, gig with smoke, the gigs with Smokestack, I met Darren Hinch. Oh, right. I didn't meet him. I just saw him walking in the terminal. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Hey, Hinch, you can have a selfie. He's like, you're all right. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know. So I think if you if you have the the gumption to ask, most people are usually pretty cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure, especially they are. if you're yeah. polite. Yeah. If you're like, hey. Go have a photo, like you know what I mean. Yeah, just, like, or just walk up and as they're walking past, just, yeah, just get no, the, just get, be nice. Hey, just I'm ninja Dave. it, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to be one of those guys. Um, oh man, that's insane! What a trip! Yeah, and yeah, uh, it was pretty. Like and and Zave's like then convinced that the owners of planes always fly on planes. Yeah, with with them. So who owns this one, Dad? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, like the person's not here. No, that's it. <laughs> yeah, that was a one-off. Oh man. Well, I mean, at least now he's had that experience and, you know, next time when he, he grows up, he'll be like, man, I'm getting chocolate. Yeah, yeah. First class. First hey, class all chocolate, the way. Baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Try to recapture that childhood moment. Yeah, so, so you, well, but, yeah, not, let's not make it about me anymore, but <laughs> but uh, like with Smokestack Rhino, yeah, tra- yeah. travelling up and down the mm. East Coast, Tassie, did you go much into SA or WA or any? We went everywhere except yeah. for Perth. So, what what's the... Like the worst gig you did on the road with Smokestack? Well, with with with. Well, what's the worst gig you did then? Just w- worst gig ever. I would probably say. Oh man, we did. You know what? It was the first time I went up to Sydney. I was playing. Um, it. W- me and my wife were going up to see Pearl Jam, and I took my guitar up with me. And I think the passouts were going at the time, but they weren't coming up with me or whatever. I brought my guitar up with me and I booked a, I booked a gig at this place called the Cat and Fiddle Hotel in Sydney. And I think maybe they usually have cover music or something because I show up, the place was empty. And I it kind of broke my heart. I'm like, oh man, you know, I want to put on a show here. And it was literally me, my wife 
and one mate that I knew in Sydney had come down to the yeah, show, right. you know, and we were kind of hanging out with him at the time, you know. But as far as like Smokestack, um, we did do a series of shows at this place called in, in not Warrnambool, it was, oh, it started with a W. And it's in Victoria? In Victoria, yes. Yeah. It's, it's near the snowfields. Wangaratta. No, it wasn't Wangaratta. Warburton. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. Warburton, this place. Now, not to stitch them up, but this place, it had maybe an open fire open fire somewhere near the, in or near the venue. And as soon as you walked in, it just stank like, like smoke. Not cigarette smoke, but fire smoke. Yep. And so having to sing in that environment just was the pits. You know, and it was actually probably a, a really bad um, time for me too because I'd put on a few extra kilos. We just there was a pizza place next door, and that's really only the place you could eat. And I just smashed a whole pizza. And at this point, it was so hot in this bloody place. At that time, the guys in the band they were all pretty fit. And so they were taking their shirts off in in the band, right? And his old mate, who's maybe I was probably pushing maybe seventy eight, seventy, seventy nine kilos at that point, and I took my shirt off, and there's this photo of me bloated <laughs> pizza gut, and I look at that photo and I absolutely hate it, right? And so that was actually the catalyst of me going to the gym last year. So now, it, pretty much every day, I'm at the gym. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'm. Yeah. It's. Become well, you- a completely 360 for me. And that yeah, was right. kind of a catalyst for me because I hated that gig. I saw that photo. I'm like, oh my God, that's terrible. I haven't done that, you know, before and after photo thing or whatever because I feel like I still have a bit of work to get, to do before I actually put myself out there like that. Um, but uh, I've st- I started wearing like sleeveless shirts to the gigs because I was actually really confident in my yeah, skin right, right. for the first time in my life. You know, I mean, kind of like I was always wearing like sleeveless shirts to like um, pass outs gigs when the pass outs and smokestack for a six month period, I was actually still trying to keep those both bands going. And so to differentiate myself as Dave in the pass outs and Dave in smokestack rhino, smokestack rhino had a very specific look. I would wear a Hawaiian shirt with a, with a printed t-shirt underneath. Um, whereas the pass outs was always a sleeveless shirt. Um, but, uh, yeah, as far as worse gigs go, I think that's probably it because I was in a space where I was, um, wasn't really happy with myself and, um, and probably really just the photos were just a bit embarrassed. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the gig was actually probably, it was actually really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's hard to, hard <laughs> to push were, past that. Exactly. Hard yeah, to, yeah. In my mind, that's probably, probably the worst one, but yeah. Um, there were some really great ones, man. Um, ironically, the, the very last gig was really, really great um, before I knew the, the, I was having to leave the band. We did this gig every, two times, a, a gig called the Mitchell Creek Rock and Blues Festival. Oh, okay, yep. Um, and that was the f- closest I've ever experienced to m- the audience actually really really frothing like if you can use that term like for us as a band because after the performance they have a little tent set up with your merch and people line up to get your their photo and sign something if they want to purchase something you sign and then you get a photo with the band and it was it was a pretty big line and we were talking to people for maybe about half an hour after our yeah, set right. and so that was the, that was probably the highlight of like my original music career getting to actually do that so I think, um, you know, the podcast has been really, really great talking with people, but I do have that kind of fire inside me where I'm like, 
I want that experience again. Like, oh yeah, I'll you know get, what like, I mean. Um, I'll be doing it this year with the with the pass outs and whoever else I can, you know, string together to do the Pearl Jam show. But um, within the next, you know, twelve to um, twenty four months, I, I, I'm hoping to to um, do another original project, whatever form that may take. Yeah, yeah, man. Any but, um, any any sort of like desires for that? Do you think, or is it just you know at the moment I'm like I know what I want to do, um, but I don't know. How it's going to come together? Yeah, yeah. I think I want to um, write, 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 mm. you know, and become a better guitar player as well. Because I, uh, I feel like that has really held me back just for way too long. Um, when I write songs, it's really more like emotional and it's not so much coming from a musician standpoint. I'm really more like emotionally, what am I trying to convey? What? Okay, well, if it's a, a sad-ish thing, and maybe I should try using minor chords. Okay, cool. I'm using these are the minor chords I know, and this is how the song comes together. Mm. If it's a happy tune, okay, well, these are the majors. Um, but uh, I'm I'm not. I don't really know enough about music theory and guitar theory and like how to string a song together enough. So I really, I know saying this, putting it down on record now, I really should do it so that I don't become a hypocrite. I actually want to get some guitar lessons because I never have ever had a guitar lesson in my life. I've always just learned off other people and friends and, you know. Yeah, yeah. I've had singing lessons but never guitar lessons because taking it back to the start of the podcast, I always thought it was daggy because <laughs> of my mum. Well, yeah, your mum could probably show you a few things. <laughs> she probably could, mate. She probably could. So, mum, in the next couple of weeks, you never know. I might come yeah, yeah, with yeah. my tail between my legs. Show me what you know need, on the I guitar. I need some sus chords. And then, yeah, yeah, yeah. show me what you know. Well, I think that's, that's probably a good – Good point to seeing we have gone full circle. We with, have with the the yeah. un- uncool mum. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably a good good spot to uh, to finish it. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for being my guest, Dave. Thank you, <laughs> Sam. On this, this auspicious episode forty two. Yeah. Did I mention why I was excited? No, about no. You 42? said you said you said you, you dig the number forty two, and then you said like pulled the name out of a hat, like n- number forty two, yeah, and you just the number's always in my head, mate. But yeah. there's a reason for it. It's because um, I'm a huge X Files fan from back when I was a kid. Oh, right. That was the show. You know, when you year eight, year nine, did you see the X Files? Did you see the X Files? And so um, Mulder's apartment number in the X-Files is number 42. Oh, right, okay. And the reason for that is because Chris Carter, the creator of the X-Files, is a massive Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy fan. And when, you know, they get to the end of the movie or the end of the book or whatever, depending on what you're looking at or reading, um, the, uh, the apparently the meaning of life. Yeah, they don't know the question, but the answer's... 42. 42, yeah. So, um, when I saw f- uh, episode 42 was coming up on the Art of Touring, I thought, well, let's try something different. Um, you know, who have I had a great back and forth with? Sam Parry was fantastic on episode 30. Oh, you know I've, you know what? I've even um, uh, entered the uh, podcast for the Australian Podcast Awards, and oh, right. I've, I've cited the Sam Parry episode as oh, the really? one for the judges to listen to. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. So, if we even get a mention, it's... A lot to do with you, my friend. Yep. So thanks for so much. For thanks it. to that prostitute in Sydney who who, <laughs> who made that story. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, that story. Yeah, that, no, you were saying oh, she was a prostitute, wasn't she? Because they started off at the strippers and then they ended up. It well, was I, a, I see. I mean, I mean she, she was getting paid she for both. sex. So yeah, yeah, yeah. She, I mean, look, you know, it all swings in roundabouts. I Double suppose. duties that night. Yeah, yeah. For her. <laughs> look, you know. Oh gosh! Ain't no shame, ladies. Do your thing. 
<laughs> I love it. Thanks for um, thanks for interviewing me, man. That was a riot. Yeah, it's great, man. And actually, thanks so much. Before we finish up, I will say we did. You did ask a question. What was that? Um, kind of quintessential song that I was most proud of when I felt like you know early career and that was late night TV so we will have heard a little bit uh, maybe even all of late night TV because I don't think it's yeah, even yeah. available to download you know it's never even made it to iTunes so I'll be playing that tune at the start all of this right. podcast well thanks very much thanks mate ciao And that is a wrap, Sizzlers, episode 42. All done. Sizz Dog's favorite number. We got it in there. Thanks for listening. If you'd like this episode, if you did like it, give the podcast a share on social media. Why don't you use the hashtag Art of Touring Podcast on Instagram and give us a follow at Art of Touring Podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with me, then please do so. You can email me directly at Art of Touring Podcast at gmail.com. Maybe you'd like to come on the show. If you're a touring muser or a performer or a wrestler, just hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. Or just slide into the old DMs there on uh, Instagram at Art of Turing Podcast. You can listen to Art of Turing on Wooshka and you can download it on iTunes. If you have enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the, within the podcast app on your phone and write a short review and stick around next week for another episode. I release these episodes every week for free on a Tuesday, sometimes in the morning on a Tuesday, sometimes late at night, but always I make that deadline Tuesdays at some point. You will get your fix of Art of Turing, I promise. So uh, please come on back next week for another brand new, fresh episode with a fresh new guest. Now let's get into some plugs. The theme music for The Art of Touring is a song called Start a Fire by The Pass Out, which is available to stream on Spotify or download on iTunes. You can grab the whole debut album by The Pass Out on all digital platforms. If you'd like to grab a physical copy on either CD or glorious coloured vinyl or regular coloured vinyl, go to thepassoutsband.bandcamp.com where you can get all our merchandise including t-shirts, stickers, posters and even skateboards. If you'd like to see Sizzdog play live, I'm doing an acoustic covers show on Friday the 8th of February at the Sporting Globe in Plenty Valley from 8 to 11pm. I might even play horses for you if you're lucky. So come down. Have a burger, why don't you? See you there on Friday. And that's all for this week. Before I go, I do have a few shout-outs. Shout out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelled W A H L. Big thanks to my special guest interviewer this week, Mr. Sam Parry, the P Dog, the Paz Dog. Uh, It was very cool of him to appear as a guest host on The Art of Touring. So thank you so much, Sam. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. We had a lot of fun putting it together, so I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, That's all from me this week. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with a Sizzdog. Ow, ow, ow. Woo. And remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by Hero Hour. The only time in the gym it is socially acceptable to do a bicep curl in front of the mirror while your gym buddy softly whispers in your ear. One. All right, now I've got to...
follow my own rules and actually ice cream the mic here. I was talking all the way back here. Ice cream it? Yeah. Okay, do you want to get the levels or are the levels good? I think as long as we're here, we should be... I might be a little bit soft, yeah. actually. When we, you know, rock back with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. <laughs>